Hello and welcome to the Bits and Bibles podcast. My name is Zach. Today we are going to have a special episode. We're going to be talking about cloud accounting software. Now, I am not an accountant or an expert in accounting, and you don't want me doing your taxes. That's the reality of it. So instead, I decided to go get an expert. So I brought on Cynthia. Cynthia is the founder of Alpha and Omega, or Alpha Omega Accounting LLC. Cynthia serves both individual and business clients, practicing in general accounting and tax preparation. Her goal is to help business owners have more time to focus on their goals and maximize their profits and minimize their taxes by lighting their way through financial understanding. She holds a bachelor's degree in both accounting and psychology, along with an associate degree in business administration. She is the CFO of Starfleet, the International Star Trek Fan Association, where she holds the fictional rate of Commodore. She loves to knit. She's a fan of lighthouses, reads steampunk novels. Actually, she's an avid reader of many genres, and she likes to binge watch cooking shows in her spare time. Hey, Cynthia, glad to have you on the episode today. Um, so uh, I'm really looking forward to this. As I mentioned kind of in my little introduction of you, taxes is not something that I understand very well. I'm realizing I'm having to get a better handle on them. But um, one thing I do understand is cloud software. But, you know, as I was looking at this topic, I thought it'd be really interesting to discuss cloud accounting software and have somebody that spoke accounting on it. Because I can speak to the technical aspects of how a software works, but there's a lot more that goes into cloud accounting softwares than just turning it on. You got to have a lot of thought that goes into what and why and how, because once it's on, you've got to use it. And if it's not a good software, then and it doesn't meet the needs your accountant, whether internal or a third party is going to need, then uh, it's you're setting yourself up for a whole mess. So um, I'm going to start this off here really quick. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add in from your little intro that I happened to miss or otherwise? Um. No, not really. Actually, I gave up the CFO for Starfleet a couple of months ago um, just because I had ran out of time, but I'm still very active in uh, in their organization. But um, I and I still help them on a regular basis, but I have somebody else doing that now. But I still love to work. I, I still work with a lot of nonprofits. I just don't do their CFO stuff anymore. Gotcha. Well, let's go ahead and we'll jump into this. Um, so the first topic I wanted to cover today a little bit was more of a technical piece, and then we're going to jump into the um, the cloud accounting stuff. So um, I want to talk for a minute here about cloud accounting software and how it works. And for those of you who don't know, cloud cloud anything doesn't actually mean like we like the problem with the term cloud is it gets kind of this salesy piece to it. Um, you get this idea of this kind of ether that it sits in instead of an actual machine. The reality is for everyone listening, the cloud is simply somebody else's computer that you have access to. Um, so for example, a public cloud, much like what you run into with, um, especially in the software worlds, like maybe a Facebook, Gmail, um, uh, you know, different softwares like that. They are just somebody else's computer. There's, a server, a data center sitting somewhere, and that is what the cloud is. So I wanted to just start with that. And the whole reason why it's called the cloud is because you can access it from anywhere. That's kind of an, 
it's a very generalized idea behind it, but the whole idea is um, you can reach it from anywhere. It's, it's somewhere else. Everyone can reach it from everywhere. Now, um, that's, that's the technique. That's a quick technical overview. But again, today's episode isn't about drilling too far into the technical weeds. I want to get more into, for all of you listening, more of the accounting software side, because again, the goal here was to help you guys know how to find a good accounting software. And so, um, Cynthia, I want to turn this over to you a little bit. How can a cloud accounting software versus a installed on-premise one on your computer help you save time and money with your bookkeeping tasks and accounting needs? Well, the biggest one is communication because you can talk to your accountant all day, but if you aren't both looking at the same data, then you're not going to get anywhere. And so if both of you are looking at the same exact data, which happens with cloud software, that you can actually both be in your software at the same time and you can see exactly what is going on. So communication is a big one. Um, access, I think, is the biggest, though, because you always have access as long as you have an Internet connection. That means even if you're on vacation in Tahiti and have Internet access, you can still check your your accounts, make sure that things are going smoothly, make sure there's money in your checkbook, all of that stuff. Um, it's also faster. If you're doing accounting by hand, it usually takes about two hours to reconcile one month of a checking account data. Um, if you're using paper or Excel or any of that. With online so software, um, especially with Xero, it usually takes between 15 and 45 minutes per month. And so it's faster if you do it daily or weekly because it's easier to remember what you did yesterday as opposed to last week. And so because it's faster, it gives you um, more time to spend on your actual work. So Makes that's, sense. Yeah, that's what that's my biggest three that I love with it. And and just for our listeners here, you've worked in accounting long enough that you probably started with like on-prem somebody had it on their computer and you dealt with a lot of the challenges that came with that, whether it was, um, and we'll go into this a little more, but you ran into a lot of the challenges of just not having access or like you mentioned, the slowness or somebody tells you all their bookkeeping is on paper or on an Excel file, you know, oh, yeah. whatever it is. So, um, you know, that's one of the benefits as for all the listeners here that cloud has offered people is that, especially if you're a small organization, it gives you a lot of things that big organizations have, the, the communication piece, better access and the speed of a bigger company. Um, but you don't have to have the scale and the infrastructure of a big company to still benefit from those benefits, which kind of goes into our next part here is, you know, the part of one of the things um, that's really neat about cloud software is that it offers the benefits of real-time data, like she was mentioning with communication and automation where um, certain things, and, and Cynthia can probably go into this a little more here in a bit, like uh, you can automate tasks inside of a lot of cloud softwares. Um, you offer security things, you know, typically the cloud will, a lot of cloud softwares these days are moving to things like multi-factor authentication or no password logins using tokens, things like that. And then also scalability. You have the ability that your software 
um, scales with you. Now, sometimes those scalings, depending on what they are, come with some adjustments and cost. But if your company just suddenly grew overnight, let's say you had some great breakthrough in your company and it just doubled overnight, unlike certain softwares on a computer that might take time to get upgraded and you got to bring in new hardware and all this stuff, the cloud just scales. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have seen cloud software scale literally in minutes. Like well, I, I've, really, I've sat in on those. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, what's, what's really nice about the scaling is that it used to be when I first started in, in accounting almost 28 years ago, um, you had to actually hire somebody to come into your office and be uh, and be there, either a full-time person or have somebody that came in at least once a week, reconciled all your books and all of that stuff. And for a small company, they really couldn't do that. And, you know, I remember we used to, I mean, you were always sending floppy disks back and forth and your data was always out of sync and you never, you never knew, basically you were working on last month's numbers instead of last week, which really could throw a business for a loop. And so now all you have to do is as long as you're, you're keeping your checkbook reconciled, you have data instantly and you have communicate and you don't have to have somebody right there in the office all the time. We do virtual CFO services, which basically is having a CFO that's not in your office, that is part-time, and you still have the same access that you would have if you had somebody in your office all the time. So it gives the small business the same advantages that a large business has. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's something that, um, especially whether you're a nonprofit or for-profit, you know, that ability to have someone maybe not that's, you know, for example, I don't know what accountants run, but for like IT in the IT world, your average technician these days, that's got some experience, a little bit of experience. And I mean, a little bit is in like maybe one to two years under their belt is usually starting at like 40 to 50 grand, depending on the state you're in. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the average accountant or CPA runs these days. Um, you might be able to give a better number on that. Again, states pending, you know, location and all that. Yeah. Um, most, yeah. Most uh, in order to hire a entry level accountant um, to do, you know, an entry level one usually, you know, will have some background in accounting. Uh, they normally can do reconciliations, things like that. Sometimes they can handle AP and, a, and AR, which is accounts receivable, accounts payable. Um, it Those normally start around 50000 a year. Um, for someone who is experienced, you're looking at between one hundred and one hundred and twenty-five a year. Yeah, so really actually not that much different than IT's kind of running rates. Um, right. And, you know, if the thing is for a lot of small organizations that might be like, especially if you're talking really small, that might be their entire running. Like, yeah. especially if you're talking the high end $120,000, that could be, that could be a quarter. That could be a annual. That could be, you know, yeah, that, that that's a lot of money. Budget. Yeah, exactly. And so um, the nice thing about having someone like using these softwares and then having somebody third party would be the advantage of, you usually get it at a reduced rate, you know, bringing on a MSP typically, like for example, in IT is I've seen MSPs that do contract based, not break fix contract based 
uh, it's like I've seen anywhere between one to five grand a month. You're right. For that's all your about, basic IT needs. Yeah, that's about what a um, what a CFO services would be is between one and five grand per month. Which then makes your cost yearly like 12 to 60 versus 120, which right. is a significant savings and, exactly. and manageable for an organization at that point. Yeah. And some, um, I have some nonprofits that I work with that we charge them 300 a month. It just depends on how, on how active they want to be in their system. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, and we also do training and, you know, to keep like the treasurer or the CFO um up on the all the features so that they can handle about 80 you know 75 to 80 percent of it themselves and then you have somebody you know like me come in to double check it and to make sure everything is correct and so that can be cheaper than having somebody you know do full-on uh the entire process for you yeah, exactly. And kind of as we're getting into the cost things here, um, now I want to let the listeners know, uh, as we're going to be discussing this today, Cynthia has a, a accounting software preference she's going to mention in this. And um, as she explained it to me and we discussed some of the issues we knew of with other accounting softwares we've worked with, both from the IT and the accounting standpoint, um, I really liked what she was explaining here. So I want her to tell you a little bit about that. Um, but uh, just from in kind of a ballpark, like without getting into specifics just yet on like this product costs this much, what does a rough accounting software run in cloud, let's say, or even just in general, what, what are you looking at cost wise? Well, on average, depending on what software you're looking at, it's usually between, um, between $15 a month and around 200 to 300 a month, depending on which software you're looking at. Um, the high the higher number is generally the exact same software as your you know as your $15 a month package is they just add extra features to it so in on average that usually means that they've added something like um you know now my preference is zero which is the, and the reason for that is one of the reasons is price the highest package in zero what they're adding is foreign currency. Most nonprofits profits don't need foreign currency at all. And so, and neither do most small businesses. And so most of the, um, most of the time you don't need that higher service unless you're doing international work. Now there's a few nonprofits that do international, but most of the time, even when you're doing international, you're sending and receiving money in U.S. dollars. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't need that higher one. It's only when you're actually doing transactions in a foreign currency that you need that higher um, that higher package. Makes sense. So really a lot of nonprofits don't even need to, like in businesses in general, these organizations don't even need to look at like, the, the beauty of it is you don't have to have the highest end thing. You can have what you need exactly. instead of having to pay the $200 or the $78. Like you said, one of them was starts at 15. I mean, that is, that is pretty manageable for almost any organization. 
I mean, even even if you want to use it for personal, fifteen dollars a month. I mean, that's three cups of coffee from Starbucks or whatever your preference of choice is. You know, like that's a very manageable dollar amount. Exactly, um, and I have a lot of people use this for their personal, um, yeah, for personal tracking. Yeah, like yeah, definitely at fifteen dollars a month, super manageable. Um, so, and that's, that's one of the beauties of it. And, you know, for everyone listening here, that's one of the beauties again of, of the, as, as you see it sometimes with installed software and stuff that you put on a machine or a server, but you've really seen it become even more of a thing in the cloud is buying exactly what you need, like getting very, mm-hmm. very down to the nth degree about what you need, like not paying for this, paying for that. And like getting to really almost kind of like, um, build it exactly how you want it to work. I mean, obviously, they're still going to have packages they sell to you, but you can still really get a fairly granular level of control over what you do and don't want to spend your money on, which is, again, is important. And, you know, from a from an accounting and book standpoint, you know, one of the biggest things that I've seen, at least, and I'm saying this is someone who doesn't do this, but just from an outsider looking in, one big important thing is managing, you know, managing your expenses, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you can find the right tools at a good price, then that's even better. That's, that is one of those things. Um, and so, you know, that, that gives you that ability to do things. And like we, like she mentioned, you get to skip what you don't need. It, you know, a lot of organizations, even mid-sized ones, I actually don't have, now that I've thought about it, I don't know if I've worked with an organization that actually transacts in a foreign currency. And I've worked for some fairly decent sized organizations um, up into even the hundreds of millions of dollars a year in income kind of, a, you know, in profit. And all of it was U.S., you know, kind of a thing. And, and a lot of the business world, even internationally, still works in USDA when it comes to or not USDA, mm-hmm. USD when it comes to transferring finances. And so, like she mentioned, so again, you don't have to spend, you know, you don't have to put your company out of business trying to manage your books. Um, Yeah. One of the things that's really nice is that um, most online software, you know, including zero, you can also track uh, cryptocurrency in it. Um, And it, and cryptocurrency is not considered a foreign, um, yeah, a foreign asset. And so you don't have to pay extra to be able to track those things. Nice, because now that the government's, I, what little I know is the government's starting to regulate that a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's again, the I, we were joking about this before we started recording. Actually, about the scariest people in the in the universe are actually the IRS. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you want to make sure that your finances are, you know, in in a good place. Not only just to make sure your company's running good from a, are we making money? But, you know, you're, you're, um, you know, for all of you business leaders and, and organization leaders out there, you know, there's people relying on you having your books in good stance mm-hmm. and having your accounting in good stance, because if your books aren't in good order and your accounts aren't in good order, then all of a sudden you can't help do whatever you're doing, whether you're doing a business or a charitable work or a social cause or whatever it is. If you don't have money at some point, you can't do stuff, you know, eventually, if well, money runs out or if it's mismanaged, you're putting your you and your clients and everybody else in, in risk. One thing you want to keep in mind, especially with nonprofits, is that in Colorado and most states, um, your 
donor base can ask for your financial reports at any time. And you have to be able to supply those pretty quickly, you know, within usually a week. And, <laughs> and if you're not on top of your books and have everything ready, I mean, most of the nonprofits that I work with, we can hand them financial reports with, you know, the same, you know, within an hour after they have asked for it. Um, mostly because they're working with a cloud software that we can go in, print, print the report and you're done. Where most of the time that's working, if you're working with by hand or whatever, you're usually at least a month or more behind in getting in keeping your books up to date and so it makes it a lot harder to um to take those requests into effect yeah which not only puts a burden on the comp the organization but then puts a burden on your accounting team and you know and if you're and if you're doing maybe a bi-hourly or depending on your contract if it's third-party accounting team if they have to put more time in to get you caught up so they can give you this thing, then that could possibly turn into a more expensive process. Um, we've had, from a technical standpoint, had clients that we had to help them catch up something really quick. And all of a sudden it cost them a lot more money because mm -hmm. there was a lot more involved to play catch up than there was to just already have it there. Um, well, I found proactive is often less expensive than reactive personally. Well, and you got to keep in mind that when you're dealing with accountants in general, we have certain times of the year where we charge more for, you know, for things like keeping, you know, for just reconciliation. If it's not kept up, you know, if you bring something to an accountant in the middle of February <laughs> that, ha that has to be, you know, has to be done that week. <laughs> you're going to pay a lot more than you will if you're you're caught up all the time and ready to go. Yeah, and it's just some minor tweaks you have to do or something. Right. Which makes sense cuz February obviously is a very very busy month for <laughs> yeah. you guys. And so you just got to keep that in mind that you know you don't want to have to bring an accountant in at the last minute because you've gotten behind. You need somebody there that's, you know, and you also don't want to bring somebody in that's not familiar with your books for an emergency thing like having to catch stuff up. Because absolutely that yeah, because it takes it 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 takes generally two to three weeks to be able to to get your staff up and on a new business of what their particular nuances are for that business. So you don't yeah, want to be... just bring somebody in at the last minute and ha and expect them to do it in a month or a week. And do it well. Like maybe they could, but it could still be kind of slapped together versus actually knowing yep. all the little pieces. Much like IT, I've been finding financial is very like, there's a lot of little boxes to check that you don't think about unless you do it. Exactly. I guess let's do this um, to kind of, because the next couple of questions I want to cover, I think are going to start getting into... Um, I want to let you talk a little bit about zero and what you liked about it. And then we'll jump back into some other things with that. I want to talk for a minute about a little bit of the risks, right? So part of IT is risk management. And I'm assuming parts of accounting as well kind of fall into that. You're managing people's 
financial risk and we're managing people's technical. A couple things for our audience. You know, we're talking about cloud software and I'm sure some of you are like, yeah, but I've heard bad things about cloud and this, that, and the other. So I do want to cover two things that you'll run into. Just, just thoughts that you can run into with running cloud accounting software. One is it does require internet. If you are one of the few people, because I feel like this list is getting pretty small, who do not have steady, consistent internet, if you are just really somewhere super remote and, and somehow can't get wireless, can't get satellite, can't get, you know, I mean, I'm feeling like that list is getting pretty small these days, but that is one thing just to consider. It does require internet. So if somehow you are in a situation where it is that, that is one challenge you will face is if you can somehow not get internet, cloud accounting might be a little bit difficult. The only other risk we're going to talk about real quick is the vendor being compromised. Um, when you're using cloud accounting software, you want to make sure you select a good vendor because if that vendor gets compromised ever, it could possibly compromise your data. Now, the reality too is that taking your computer, taking all your data and putting it on your computer, all that means now is that all that burden shifted to you. So instead of having, let's say, for example, Zero's security team, because they've got their own IT department, their own security guys, et cetera. It's now on you to maintain that files, backup protection and everything else. So, um, and one of the other risks on the flip side of not using accounting software is um, forgetting your password. I yeah. believe when I was talking to Cynthia about this originally, we kind of had a little bit of a laugh about this because I've had people call, hey, I don't know my password. Okay, well, I can get you into your computer. And then they go, hey, I don't know my accounting software password either. Can't help you with that one because... I'm not a software developer and they've had to reach out to their, their, you know, whoever produces their software and fix it. So that is one thing is you, the minute you take your data and take it out of the cloud and put it on your device, you are managing all responsibilities. So if that data is not backed up, that's on you. If the data is not secure, it is on you. The one nice thing about taking it cloud is managing risk again. If you have a good vendor, that's why you want to make sure, do your research on the vendor whenever you're going anything cloud, look into what the vendor is like, what their reputation is. But you're giving them, you're paying them to take that risk and they hold the data for you. And then now their people with their training and their teams manage that risk for you. And you simply run the software. Um, so to kind of tie that in, you really, Cynthia, as you talked about it, was um, you you really said that you like uh, Zero. Now, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that before Zero, you originally started with QuickBooks, which is a brand that a lot of people have used before. Um, I've had experience with it because we have clients at the company I currently work at that we've helped with that. And, you know, even before this company, uh, there's other companies I've worked with that have used QuickBooks and you hear the name pretty often. Um so why, um, to kind of jump here a little bit on you on our notes, but why, why did you go with zero? What got you from going from <laughs> QuickBooks to zero without turning this into a podcast of railing on QuickBooks? So, but what got you there? Well, um, well, first I want to go back just a little bit to the vendor being compromised. As far as I know, um, there has never been an, a, a, attack on QuickBooks or Xero itself. Now, there has been on both of them of somebody getting your password and getting into your data itself. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so the reason I say that is because a lot of times when you write your password down on a notebook someplace. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Or if somebody, God forbid, breaks into your office or your home and takes your computer and you have a sticky note on the computer with your password, (laughs) then it doesn't matter how secure you have made anything. You've given them all of the information and so you have to be really careful with those passwords and so that's why a lot i mean most accountants use a um a password you know something like LastPass or password yeah, we typically call them password managers that's all we call them. yeah and so any kind of a password manager then you won't then you're more likely the more passwords you have <clears throat> As an accountant, I have not only my passwords, but my clients' passwords. So I have upward of 200 different passwords I have to track. And so you have to make sure that your your passwords are in a really good location. Now, as far as the differences between Zero and QuickBooks, one of the main differences that I have found is that Zero is faster, mostly because I realized that QuickBook or QuickBooks is made by a company called Intuit, which was their name came about because of it was supposed to be intuitive software. I have never found QuickBooks to be intuitive. Now, especially when they moved from a desktop version to a cloud version. Their desktop versions are are a lot easier to use and a lot faster. And but they really, they don't even sell their, they still sell their desktop version of QuickBooks, but it's a lot harder to access now. It's harder to find. You can, you know, finding the, the product is difficult. They don't support it as well anymore either. I've, right. we, like I said, the company I work at, we currently support a couple of clients with QuickBooks and we've had a lot of problems with their support as well. Now we've never worked with zero, so I can't give you a comparison, but. <laughs> well, see, that is what that. Their support is the number one reason why I chose Zero over QuickBooks. The reason for it is that Zero support you can usually get to within a couple of minutes. They have a lot of stuff online that you can look at. They have, but they also have, if you're working with an accountant who is a QuickBooks or a Zero advisor, they have access to what's called a an accountant. Um, I don't even remember what they call it. Like an but account manager kind of a thing? An or? account manager for the accountant. And we can call them directly or we can we can email them directly and have support within two to three minutes as opposed to waiting on hold with QuickBooks for an hour and then spending another hour on talking with their tech person and still not getting it fixed. With Zero, if your account manager doesn't know the answer right then, you will have somebody from the actual that actually does write the software. So you'll get someone in like development. Yeah. Somebody who is in development will call you right back really quickly and you will have it fixed that day. Awesome. That their support is absolutely amazing. And you don't have to wait for hours to get to them. Another thing that I found is that zero doesn't break as often as QuickBooks does. Okay. especially the desktop version of QuickBooks. So you don't need support as often. 
we also have in zero what's called an ambassador. I, I'm, I'm a local ambassador. And what that means is that I train other accountants how to use zero. And there's also national ambassadors. All of our, all of us are available on either Facebook or from, you know, just a quick, most, most people have either our, our phone number or our, um, or an email address. And so if a new accountant is having a, a difficulty with something in zero, they have access to not only support, but also their local and their national ambassador. You got a good community base is what you're saying. There is a huge community base in, and I have found that most of the time we even have a Facebook group that is just for Northern, uh, for North America. And I can go on there and ask a question anytime and it's usually answered within five minutes. And so there is not, it's not just the zero support team that you have access to where with, with QuickBooks, most of the time you don't, you don't have that extra layer of access of, of people to help you. I've, I've looked for actually, and maybe I've missed it, but so far I have had trouble trying to find like community ones when we're trying to fix technical issues. Um, yeah. Usually our only route is support. And we've, and I've had some of those experiences to talk about. I have sat on the phone with QuickBooks. Um, my record one day was like six hours and we still hadn't finished, fixed the issue, but that was the amount of time I spent in the call with yep. the person. Yeah. And yeah, that's what I, what I like about zero is that you not only have access to their support network, but to other people that may have experienced this at one time or another and have a quick fix for you. What was interesting is last year, for some reason, one of the reports was leaving off the last day of the month. I was able to, to call my account manager and we had it not only fixed, but the development department had it fixed for everybody across the board, not just for me, within about two hours. And just because it was something that was like, what in the world is this doing? And they were able to fix it. And it was one of the, and it wasn't even one of the main reports. It was one of the ones that you very rarely have to pull. I just had to pull it for one client for, for a donation thing. And it was leaving off December 31st for some reason. It had everything else December 31st. <laughs> and so it was it was just one of those things that that one report wasn't working the way it should have. And they had it fixed within two hours. And it wasn't even a main one. Yeah. You know, so their support is amazing. And what's really nice is that any you can contact any of the um ambassadors off of a Facebook group. And every one of them will will get back to you within usually 30 minutes to an hour that you'll have somebody <laughs> get back to you. So that was the, the main reason why I switched over. The other reason why I switched over is because your reporting function in Zero is a lot more flexible. Um, you can actually create a report that is only for you because most software let's you know if you take any accounting software it doesn't matter which one they are designed for small businesses not for nonprofits nonprofits have a specific wording that you have to have on 
instead of being a profit and loss statement, it's a statement of activity. What happens with that, you have to just change some wording on a report. It is very difficult to do that in QuickBooks directly. You have to go into the statement writer. You have to go into all, you know, basically different software in order to get these specialized reports. With Xero, they have a layout function that you can just go in there, change your layout, change the date, and it's or and change the name of the title, and it's done. And you don't have to. You're not spending five hours trying to create this report. You're spending. 10 minutes to customize it and then it's available every single month instead of having to redo it every month like you have to do with QuickBooks. So that was my big reason for for switching everybody over. That makes a lot of sense and you know I'm sure a lot of our audience can kind of get the feeling of like we've all had to call tech support even IT people have to call tech support and we all get the you know you call you pick up ring thank you for calling we're experiencing higher than normal volumes please wait. Yep. And then here goes 15, 30, hour, two, four. Ironically enough, my longest ever hold time was with the IRS, though. I'm going to yep. say that. Four and a half hours, I think, all said and done before I got a person. That was that was a long one. I actually started on my lunch break and was driving home when somebody picked up. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, And I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, they can get they they can definitely like understand the importance of like that quick response time. If you're a, if you're an organizational leader, or you're the accountant at a, or you're the financial person, whether you're not, you're the accountant, but you're the person who helped manage the finances at an organization. The idea, like sitting on that time, sitting on that call, you can't, you can't do other stuff as well. Maybe you can put it on hold and have it sit at your desk, but you're still always kind of partially mentally on that call. So you can't focus on other things. And that's tying up more and more and more of your time. I was telling Cynthia that I've sat in on calls with other quick, you know, with other vendors and QuickBooks being one of them, where it's been days of work to get something fixed, where I spent the first day with tier one, the next day with tier two, the next day with tier three, and then finally got development four days later, instead of even four hours later, if it only took four hours, or like she said, maybe even 40 minutes, you know, however long it takes, but you know, yeah. that, that time translates. That's one thing as you look at vendors. And I mentioned earlier, remember looking to your vendors is see what kind of a reputation they have for support. You know, it's, if you're okay with the long wait times, then go for it. If you're not, you may want to look at a vendor that goes, has a quicker response time to it. But that's, uh, that's, I wanted to let Cynthia kind of have her chance to explain a little bit about why she chose this one, because I wanted to give you guys uh, the opinion of someone who, who has worked in this software, you know, I can tell you, oh, there's tons of cloud accounting softwares out there, but I don't work in them day to day. I mostly just make sure in cloud sense, I mostly just make sure people's internet's working when you're working with cloud software, whereas Cynthia has gotten to work in them day to day. So Cynthia, I really appreciate you kind of giving us your, your insight on that and just what you've seen. Well, there, um, are, some, there are some others out there like uh, FreshBooks, um, Honey, Sage has one. You want to find somebody that works in the software that you are wanting to work in. Uh, the reason for that is that, you know, most accountants, they are familiar with QuickBooks. Now, when I first started in accounting, that was the one of the reasons why I was able to, was because I worked in QuickBooks. And at that time, most accountants absolutely hated QuickBooks and would not work in it. The reason for it was that you could change the data and it caused a lot of problems until they got some of that you know, some of that worked out that you could lock down financial years. So a lot of a lot of older CPAs would not take on QuickBooks at all, even as a desktop one. They wanted paper, Excel, 
Sage was one of them. Peachtree was one that they used a lot because they could lock down the data. So when QuickBooks first came out, it was one. It was pretty revolutionary to the accounting soft uh, accounting profession, and a lot of people would not work in it. Now I'm not saying anything bad about that. It has changed. You know, there's a lot of a lot of accountants now won't work in zero because they're not familiar with it. You know, just like some accountants won't work in certain industries because they're not, not familiar with it. So you want to find an accountant that's not only familiar with the software that you're working with, but also the industry that you're in. Because if you get somebody that is not familiar with nonprofits, they're not going to know how to set up your reports because they've never done it. That doesn't mean they can't learn it. It just means that it's going to take them a little bit longer. The same with any software. You want to have somebody that's familiar with the software you're using, because if they're not, it's going to take them longer, which means it's going to be more expensive for you. So just, you know, watch what kind of, so when you get into the more obscure software, like FreshBooks and Honey and, and things like that, you have to be really confident in doing, in actually doing your own work. And be, because most accountants aren't going to be familiar with that software. No, that's really good to know. And definitely I would recommend that as well. You know, even on the IT side, we recommend that is like, you know, you need to look at what softwares you have, what software is going to work with what you have, and then what software you want to work in. So since that's some, that's a really good point there. Um, I've got, we got a couple more questions here. We're going to get through um, just to make sure we get this information covered. What are some, you, I think you covered this a little bit, but let's just, because you already covered one of these points here, but I wanted to cover this again. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like how, how is, how to get started. I wanted to ask you like how to get started in cloud accounting software and some of the best practices. You mentioned already about finding um, the right person and the right accounting background, the right industry. But then uh, I know there were a couple other points you also brought up that I thought were, as we were discussing this, that were really good about that, getting into like um, the relationship with the treasurer and the board members and stuff. You want to cover that a little bit? Sure. First off, the first thing to do to get started is make sure that you get registered. The problem is that a lot of nonprofits are going to, they, they don't register as a nonprofit. And when you do that, then whoever's social security number is on the checking account for that, they have to report that as taxable income because you're not registered as a nonprofit. They're not going to recognize that it's that that money is not taxable to you. And so you have to really watch that. Um, so get registered as soon as possible. Yes, it costs money. It's would be around 500 to 1500, sometimes more to, if you're using an outside service to, to get registered, but you want to do that as soon as possible. You also want to hire someone with experience in nonprofits from the start. Most nonprofits have a high turnover rate for your treasurer, mostly because you they're voted in at some point. So usually they have a turnover of about every two to three years, they have a new treasurer or a new, you know, new board members and things like that. When that happens, a lot of times your taxes actually become the last thing that you think about. A lot of treasurers that are brand new don't even know that they have to file, even if you're a nonprofit. Most people assume that because you're a nonprofit, you don't file a tax return. That's not true. You still have to file a tax return. You just don't pay tax on it, but you still have to file that return. That return is more of an informational return 
and it is available through the IRS to anybody. It also determines that you still have your nonprofit status. If you have not filed for two or three years because your treasurer didn't know you were supposed to, then you're going to be, you're going to lose your nonprofit status. And then you have to start the process all over again. And so, and you also will get fines and penalties and all of this stuff from the IRS for not filing. Now, most of those you can, you can have some of it abated, but you have to know, have somebody that's really good with tax to be able to, to talk to the IRS and get that taken care of. The other thing is that most treasurers don't really have any training in bookkeeping. They're usually voted in as, hey, I'll do this. You yeah, know, trying to help, trying to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm willing to help. I can do this. But then they don't have any training. So if you don't have somebody that you're working with on a regular basis that. That goes over that and teaches your treasurer how to do it then you're going to end up in, you know, with some problems. And um, it's also important to have a really good board members on your, on your team. And a lot of times, again, these guys are voted in. So it's really nice to have the board members that will stay through a transition time between, you know, and so you don't want to have every one of your board members every three years have a vote and the entire board changes. So you, you want to kind of overlap it a little bit. You need to have some that overlap so that you've got a few people that actually have gone through the process of having to file a tax return and things like that so that they remember that you have to do it. Um, you want to have at least two people on your, uh, on your board that has some kind of business experience, mostly because they are usually really good at reading financial reports because they've had to through the years. And so they can help guide a, non, a new nonprofit and how to read these financial reports because it's not really, I mean, reading financial reports is not as easy as people think it is. It's not just, okay, this is the gross profit. This is your, <laughs> you know, this is the bottom line and we're done. Most people don't realize that there's a lot of stuff in between. They, and there's things on what's called a balance sheet that doesn't even show up on the uh, on your profit and loss statement. So you have to know how to get from one report to another report and be able to read them. Yeah. So you want uh, somebody that's really has been in business for several years, not just you know, yes, I own a business. You want somebody that's been in a successful business for several years because those guys know how to read their financial reports and they can help those new board members that have never had to do that. And yeah. so you, you at least want one person, preferably two, that yeah. have a good, that have been in business for a while. Yeah, and, and having those people that have that experience where it's, uh, well, and it sounds like, one thing that's important is for an organization if 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 they're small and they're not going to have like an accounting department because I've worked for some large nonprofits where their accounting is a, is an entire department of several people, a couple CPAs even sometimes you know or people exactly. with that background I should say maybe not 
I don't know if they still carry the title CPA. I don't know how the certification works on that, but you know, they've got, they've got those people. Whereas the small organization might only be able to afford like one person if that. Right. And so having somebody who's maybe third party, that is that source of that trusted source of information in your accounting space is important because like you mentioned, they can work with the board members, whether the senior ones or the new ones and just kind of say, okay, guys, Hey, don't forget this. Remember to check this. Have you guys done this? And you know, people like you or other third party folks can work with the company or with a nonprofit and say, Hey, have you, you know, help, help them make sure that they aren't falling out of alignment with the IRS because I mean, there's a lot of things that can go bad when you fall out of alignment in IT, but very rarely does it involve the IRS, whereas the IRS <laughs> is more than happy to. And as you even mentioned, I think to me at one point, state, uh, state uh, not authorities, but um, sometimes state organizations are even um, more likely to shut you down. You yeah. have to make sure all of your stuff is um, being managed. So I want to lead, take that question and kind of lead into our last one, because the thing I've been finding about money is there's a lot of myths around oh, money. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of myths. You'll hear people say stuff and it's like, oh, that sounds right. Or yeah, everybody says that. But then when you look it up, it's not true. You know, it's like, oh, that's not even remotely correct. So what I, I'd asked you about a couple of myths to give us kind of as the last question as we wrap up here. What are a couple of myths that people about accounting or taxes that people think tr are true, but that or you found people think are true, but they're not? Well, the biggest one that I find is that, you know, if there's no money in my checking account, then I don't owe taxes. Yeah. You know, and for a business, you have to remember that not everything you spend money on is a tax deduction. So you're going to owe taxes, even if your checkbook is in the negative. Because if you have spent a lot on stuff that is not a tax deduction, then you're going to be in trouble. The other one, big one that I find is that, oh, I made under, usually somebody says something like $2,000 or $600 or whatever. So I don't have to report that. The fact is that you have to report taxes on every penny that you acquire with a few exceptions. Yeah. Such as if you're given a gift but what most people don't realize is if you're given a gift then the person who gave you the gift had to pay tax on it. So nothing is going to be not, is going to be that you're not taxed. There's even a, a thing in the IRS regulations that if you find a hundred dollar bill on the floor and pick it up, you have to pay tax on that because you've acquired more money. Now, the IRS is not going to know that you picked up this $100. So, you know, you're not going to, most people aren't going to report it. But, but by it the law, legal. by the tax law. But by the law, you have to do it. Okay. So now, I've heard people say the 600 thing before. So that's, what's the difference on that real quick? Well, see, the thing is that 600 is where you will get a, 10, a 1099 saying that you did work for them. Gotcha. And so a lot of people think that if you make under the, under the 600, then you don't have to report it. The only difference is that you have to, that you still have to report that you received the money. You just won't get something from the other company that the, that is reported to the IRS. 
And so, but you still have to report it. And so that 600 comes from how much you have to, to get paid from someone before you get a 1099 from them. Gotcha. But not on whether or not you're taxed on it. Not on whether or not you're taxed on it. Now, one of the big ones with nonprofits is that, and I already mentioned that if you don't register, then whoever's social security number is on the checking account for that nonprofit now has to pay tax on it. Um, and, but the other part is that if you haven't registered, then most people who donate money are expecting to be able to take that as a credit on their taxes. If you're not yeah. registered, they can't take that as a credit on their taxes. Uh, there's also some nonprofits that are not. It, it, there's a difference between a nonprofit and a not-for-profit. So things that, such as an HOA organization or a um, a social organization, those you cannot take those the money you you spend or the money that you give to those organizations is not a tax deduction. And so, and they have to tell you that. And so if you have not registered your business as a nonprofit, you are not a nonprofit organization. You cannot do that. You cannot, they cannot take that donation as a, you know, on their taxes. So you have to be really cautious about some of that because it's amazing to me that pe people just don't realize they think, well, I can open a nonprofit anytime I want. You not only have to be registered with the state that you're in, but you also have to be registered with the IRS as a nonprofit. Otherwise, you're not a nonprofit. No, yeah. And that would definitely, you know, that would have just not only an effect on your finances, but your relationship with your donors. You know, there's, mm -hmm. you would have a, there's, even if it wasn't malicious, like, you know, it could be somebody for a non-malicious reason is just like, oh, I don't, I don't really need to do that, but it's still going to cause a breakdown between you and your donors. If all of a sudden it's like, well, Hey, I gave you all this donation, but I can't take a tax credit now, but I thought I could, you know? Right. So yeah, no, that's, those are really good things. And again, I hope you guys really take what she's talking about here to heart, because again, accounting <laughs> for what little I know about it. And I'm learning more every day. Every time I talk to Cynthia, I learned something new. It's one of those areas that can really, it's one of those foundational pieces that you have to have right in your organization or it will it will bring it down at some point if if it is not managed well. And I'm sure I'm, I'm probably this could be a whole nother episode. I'm sure there's entire things Cynthia could tell us some pretty good horror stories about <laughs> that, you know, things gone wrong because people didn't, whether it was accidental or malicious or whatever, somebody didn't keep on top of things and it costs their organization. So Cynthia, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate you coming on. This is a lot of good information. And again, I, I just, I, I have to imagine this is how people feel when they hear people talk about technology, but it's kind of like, golly, there's just so many aspects of finances and, and accounting that you don't think about day to day, especially as someone who's not in it. You know, I definitely feel comfortable speaking for the people that don't speak accounting every day and kind of sitting there going, oh my goodness, like the amount of just details and things you have to think about. So, you know, guys, I really hope each one of you listening, take what Cynthia's given here to heart, write it down, make some notes, take it to your accountant, take it to your people, you know, use it as good information to do, check that out. And, um, you know, as Cynthia's mentioned, I want to give a little plug for her here. She does this kind of work in her organization, not only 
does like does your accounting, but can also train accountants. So if you're an accountant that's new into this and you want to learn more, um, you know, she does that kind of stuff. So Cynthia, I want to ask, like, what are the ways if people want to learn more from you or hear more about what you, you know, about learn more about accounting or, or get some training from you or maybe even have you help them with their finances? Where can they find you and what's the best ways to get a hold of you? Well, the best way is on my website, which is alpha omega dash acct.biz on there there is a scheduler there's a one of the tabs has schedule down towards the bottom of that is zero training and i do that twice a month and you can just come into any of my zero classes sometimes i have one person in there sometimes i have 20 so depending on how many people we have in there we can get into more specifics for your thing or we do a basic class or on that same page, there's a one-hour free consultation for anyone that you know just wants to find out what's you know what they need to look for or whatever. And that's really the easiest way to get a hold of me is to schedule an appointment. Mostly because that scheduler will tell you when I'm available. You can also um, email me anytime, and that's info at alpha omega acct dot biz. Now, I'm going to tell you the hardest way to get a hold of me is by phone. You can call, and it's the phone number is 970-344-7298. But I'm going to warn you that I don't check my answering machine as much, as often as I should. <laughs> so, that makes so the, two of us. <laughs> yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is just to schedule an appointment, and that way you know you're on my schedule. Awesome. Okay. Well, again, Cynthia, I appreciate, I really do appreciate you coming on, you know, guys, quick little funny story. I met Cynthia. Has it been now two years ago? Uh, yeah, about, about two, about two years ago, we met at a conference. We were, I was attending with my wife and we ended up, I think we met on lunch or something like that. It was, yeah. um, we were at a lunch table and we had talked about doing this cause I'd been doing the podcast for a while. And we started doing a bit and different things kept coming up. So I'm, I'm really glad we finally got to do this, Cynthia. And I've really enjoyed getting to sit here and talk with you about this. Um, so guys, uh, again, I appreciate you for listening. Definitely check out a lot of the great stuff that Cynthia has going on. And uh, again, like I said, that zero training, if you're someone that's in zero or is curious about it, that sounds like a great resource for you guys. And if you want to check out uh, what we're doing with Bits and Bibles, you can always you know, make sure you follow the podcast. Um, you can check it. You can follow me online, ZachariahCollins.com or at my social media handle, which is Z-A-K-E-R-I-A-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. So guys, thank you for joining us. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We will see you guys next episode.